everyone and welcome to another episode of Within Us. My name is Ozzy and I'm your host and I'm so grateful that you are here. There has been so much going on in the world. I feel like as soon as we start trying to adjust, there's a new normal and whether it's what's going on here where I live in Israel or what's going on across the world in Australia or the United States or so many different places where you all are it's on my mind and on my heart and i i know that it's the same for all of us i know that we are all so deeply connected and especially now with social media and the capability that we have to communicate across continents and really stay connected with one another it's so so clear how we care so deeply about what's happening with the people that we care about and people that we don't even know around the world. So, you know, one thing I've been thinking about about a lot lately is the idea of what remains the same even when everything around us is changing or is in flux or is uncertain. And I have a lot to say on the topic, but essentially what's come to my attention so clearly is that when we know what our values are we know what our values are no matter what and no matter what around us is happening we know what is within us and what matters the most to us in life so i wrote a note in my newsletter this week perhaps you saw that that one thing i value so tremendously is my family and this week we were celebrating five years of living in Israel, of moving across the world and fulfilling one of our huge lifelong dreams. So that happened five years ago on July 1st. And also celebrating 17 years of my wedding anniversary with my husband, Daniel. And we have had a nice week. We've done some nice things together as a family. And it's really important to me. And as much as I love my work and I I can get really so enthusiastic and so busy with it, I'm really trying to stay present with time and spending time where it's needed most. And that's one thing that this whole time period has brought up for me is that right now we're really all, many of us, especially those of us who are at home, are really up close and personal with the bare essentials and the basic of our li- basics of our lives. It looks different for different people. And I think that's another thing that's come to my attention is how important it is to be sensitive to the individual experiences of other people. And we can be in the same time period, but having two very divergent experiences and staying present and being empathetic to the experiences of others even if they're different from our own. So there's a lot to say on that, but I want to get into this episode. It's really incredible, and my guest is wonderful. She talks a lot about values, and she talks about values not only in terms of time, but in terms of money and how our money is a representation of our energy and essentially our values. She really has an abundance mindset. She really has a spiritual orientation around everything in the physical world. And Yael Trash, my guest today, has become a friend. 
She's someone who I respect and admire and I'm proud to call my friend. And I've been listening to her podcast. It's called The Jewish Latin Princess. I've been listening for a few years now. She's been podcasting for three years now. And I love her show. It's phenomenal. She interviews Jewish women on all sorts of topics. And she herself has a really interesting background. She has an MBA and she worked in finance and business. And then she went on to learn about spirituality and start teaching about spirituality, which she does now. She's a columnist for Chabad.org and she has her show and she teaches courses on money and she has such a generous spirit. She really helps people everywhere she goes, whether she's podcasting or she's speaking or she's teaching. So it is my absolute honor and pleasure to introduce you to my guest, Today, Yael Trash. So, Yael, I'm so happy to be speaking with you today on this very important topic. And, you know, it's interesting. I, as much as this is fundamental to our lives and our very subsistence, and it's something that we interact with every single day. It's not something I've covered yet on the show. So mm. I'm really excited about this conversation. And well, thank you. I'm excited yeah. to be here. Yes, it's great to, great to be here with you. And this is something that you have been interested in for many years now. Going back, you studied business, you have your MBA in, in business. And you have become very vocal, very passionate about teaching people about money. Mm-hmm. And or planning, but really a deeper spiritual component to money and possessions. So perhaps we can start by speaking about that a little bit. Well, yeah, it's like you said, I think without even realizing I must have always had this fascination with money because I did study economics and I studied banking. I mean, I have an MBA and I worked in banking, which interestingly enough, I always wanted to transition into private client services. I I went to managing not the money of corporations, but of people. But fast forward many years, what led to the current type of work that I do was my own personal struggles with money, specifically as an adult woman, a married woman after the last recession, and how I came out of that and the lessons learned that then when I ended up, when I started working first in the capacity of blogging and motivational speaker and columnist, and then that transition to a podcast, again, continuing with speaking engagement and so on and so forth and my writing, I kept finding that one of the pain points that many, many women had was regarding their financial life and something in that it wasn't being addressed. And I kept answering the same type of questions and I kept going back to lessons that I learned. And I also kept going back to so much that I learned that was not necessarily part of the traditional finance education but I think what 
I learned the most or what really pulled me or, or shifted me, shifted my paradigm, my mindset, my behavior around money, ironically, wasn't so much my my training in classical finance, but it was my Jewish education, was tapping into the wisdom of my tradition and my faith that really informed how I reshaped my behavior, again, my thoughts, my speech, and my behavior around money. So as a person who was already involved in Jewish spirituality, in educating women um, about Jewish spirituality and bringing that spirituality into all sorts of things related to their practical lives, their marriages, their parenting, their businesses, their, their love for art, their love for fashion, whatever it might be, right? It was, there was always spiritual insights that I was weaving into everything that I taught. When it came to money, it was just so natural. And I found that this was a real point of struggle. And so there were many people out there teaching women about parenting and about marriage from a Jewish perspective. And when it came to our money, which like you said, is such a fundamental part of everyday life. And not only that, it's one of those areas that causes a tremendous amount of stress and pain for people and, for, and in marriages, crickets. Nobody was talking about it. So wow. the more I started talking about it, the more people, the feedback, you know, you just keep getting the feedback. It's like I hit a raw nerve and people were thirsty for more and for more learning. And that's how eventually I've been writing more about it and talking more about it. I launched a course teaching women about it, an online course. And yeah, it's uh, fascinating. So in terms of the pain points around money, going back to what you went through and the issues that people are bringing to you, now, are these pain points, do they span across sort of income levels and are there issues like at any point on the spectrum? Yeah. So I would say that generally speaking, these things do span across income levels. And I will tell you about, and some people might shun at this. I might say, no, you know, people who are very wealthy don't, don't have the, the issues that I have. And the bottom line is, and I think we've talked about privately, you and I about this, is that there is a certain mentality of anxiety and worry about money that even a person who's already making a substantial amount of money can still live with that burden. So, so there's a certain, there's certain things that are underlying that apply to all income levels. Now there are other things that one could say, you know, again, they, that, that span across income levels could be financial literacy, like confidence, attaching our, 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 our net worth to our self-worth. There's a lot of, there's, we project a lot onto money and we tend mm -hmm. to equate it with how we feel about ourselves. Our, the balance in our accounts tends to get intermingled with our self-worth. So there's a lot of things that really, I feel like they span, they go across the spectrum and the change in outlook can really help somebody at any level. Having said that though, if, if a person is struggling financially or really wants to really grow in their, in their wealth, to be honest, it, it is imperative that they start changing this, that, mm. that, that these things need to change from, from the inside out. It's really interesting. So essentially what I'm hearing you say is that at any level, at any point, on the spectrum of finances, whether someone's in debt or struggling, or even at the other end, people with an incredible amount of wealth, 
there are issues that can come up at any of those points that can bring stress, tying money to our being, to our identity, for us, to our sense of worth. So I'm curious if we can start there. I feel like that's just such a, an important piece to all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what tends to happen, Assie, is that we equate something that is finite, which is our net worth, as you and most of your viewers probably know, a net worth is just a calculation of your assets, what you own, minus your liabilities, what you owe, right? And that gives you a number. And that number could be positive, could be a very big positive number. It could be negative. It could be a big negative number. It could be a small negative number. It fluctuates throughout your life, right? There's ups and downs. It changes. And that's a number. It's a measure of our financial picture at one point in time. However, we as individuals, every single individual created in this world has an infinite value. But for some reason, we tend to equate our value with things that are completely finite. In this case, speaking, the balance in our accounts or our material possessions. And that can cause a lot of havoc internally for people. And to take it back to what you were saying before, I've also seen it happens to people at all income levels. We self-sabotage a lot. So you could be earning a lot of money and still be like one month away from not making it. You know what I mean? Like, because you're, you don't, you're not really building wealth. You're just in a, in a, in a wheel. So there's certain things that at all income levels we see, but definitely I would say that one of the big mindset shifts that we have to understand is that whatever we have in material possessions at one point in time doesn't define us as human beings, that we are way, way, way beyond that. We are, in, mm. we are connected to the infinite creator of the world. We are connected to infinity. That means that we have infinite potential and strength to do what we've called, been called to do in this world. Every single morning when we wake up, if we're blessed with a new day, is because the creator of the world trusts us that we have something to do in his world. Now we have to trust ourselves. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah, Alan, I think you bring up such an incredible point in, we live in the year 2020 and there is opportunity, depending on where you live, different types of opportunity. You know, there's so much variance in terms of the, what people are born into, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that there's such a shift that you're bringing up here about not looking to what we own or what we have for our sense of identity, for our sense of worth, but really understanding that our worth as human beings goes so far beyond that. And I'm curious if you could paint a picture for us, like at each different, let's, let's take uh, someone who's struggling tremendously with money. Mm-hmm. someone who's kind of right there in the middle, hardworking, neither plus nor minus, and then someone who's really at the top. And talk about how bringing on this new mentality, this understanding of being a spiritual being, of having this infinite worth, how can that real deep knowledge and awareness and consciousness have an effect on someone's life at, at one of those three points? So let me 
Let me say it like this, and I think it will, it will address all three. When we have this consciousness, Asi, we're basically saying that we're not a victim of a situation. So maybe this is addressing the person who's really struggling, okay? Sometimes I hear, well, you know, it's easy to say because you must have started with certain seed money or you might, you know, people, you know, come, it's true. There's people who come into different circumstances onto their lives. However, we have to remember that those circumstances, as well as our talents, our strengths, and our weaknesses, all of it, the whole package, our inner resources and our external resources, the circumstances that we've been given, were given to us custom made by a creator, okay? So once we understand that, and we go back to what I said before, that we are connected to that creator, that we have an infinite potential, that he's entrusting us with it, then I am not a victim anymore of the circumstances, whether they be external or whether they be inner handicaps, then I'm empowered to use that to actually go and serve his world. Sure, I have to figure it out. But just having that sense of, I'm not a victim to this. This has been given to me because obviously I have to transform it in some way, because obviously I have to utilize it in some way. That already gives this person a sense of, I can wake up today and be more and be productive. I can be more productive. What can I do today to serve God's world better and monetize that? What can I be doing today to earn more money for my family? Because again, if I'm feeling good about myself, if I'm feeling like I have a contribution to make, then I'm feeling good about earning money to continue that contribution. And now this touches on all income levels because there's a lot of shame that we attach to money and wealth when in truth is a neutral tool of the creator that he gave us to utilize in the world. So if we're in another type, if we're in a, let's say, middle income bracket or a high income bracket, right? If we're, if we're attaching shame to earning money, that is going to hinder us in certain ways from continuing to develop that wealth and build it forward. And it's going to also maybe hinder our relationships because perhaps we are ambivalent about communicating about money, about communicating to our children, about communicating to our spouses. So it can hurt us in so many levels. So in terms of really internalizing our worth goes so much further than money, you're saying it can help us to have a proactive role in, mm-hmm. in, in our lives, really, in our lives not being a victim of circumstance, but realizing that we can transcend, which is such a beautiful idea and, and you know, not always easy. People are in all sorts of different circumstances. I'm thinking about the world events right now. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so much on the forefront of my consciousness. But I think that if we want to look at a difficult circumstance, what is there to lose by believing that we can transcend it? What is there to lose? Not only what is there to lose, but rather what is there to gain? That's everything. the best, Every, right? Everything, what is the, everything, right. everything. Everything. I love that so much. So, so let's talk about a little bit more about these spiritual ideas, because I know there are so many foundations within Judaism and Jewish philosophy relating to the material world. Mm-hmm. Yes. What, what speaks to you and what do you feel 
is important for your students and your readers and your, your audience? So I think the, the most important thing is to understand that money itself is neither positive nor negative. It's neither good nor bad. It's a neutral tool that God gave us that, can, that has tremendous potential, potential to be elevated and then the, divine, the divinity that is in it could be revealed or God forbid degraded, used for the opposite. Now that potential, now it's up to us with our free choice as human beings in this world to utilize that tool in the best way possible that is revealing that divinity, okay? And that is with any neutral tool that God gave into the world, but money is particularly powerful. This is such a great conversation. Let's take a quick break and thank our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Lumen, the first handheld device that can measure your metabolism in a single breath to tell you what fuel source your body is using for energy, fats, or carbs. Lumen's device and app provide you with personalized daily meal recommendations to help you reach your weight, nutrition, or fitness goals. And it has been scientifically validated. If you want to check out how you can hack your metabolism today, visit lumen.me. You can use the code within us 25 to get $25 off at lumen.me. Now, in addition to that, something very, very important rooted in Jewish wisdom is that the money itself, the money is not an end in and of itself. It's actually a means. And again, it's a means for of what? To serve our creator and his world. It's the way that we impact the world. That's why that's the tool that he's giving us. So I think once we have this very present, a lot of the ambivalence and the shame and the icky feelings can sort of melt away. And we can, number one, feel okay about putting a price tag to our services and charging more money. And number two, feel empowered to actually take ownership of our financial life and say, hmm, maybe I haven't really been paying attention to this part of my life. Maybe I have been drowning in debt and perhaps I should take control. Maybe I should learn some financial terms and not be intimidated by it. You know, start taking those baby steps that help you understand what this tool is about and how you can manage it better and how you can use it better in your life rather than allowing this to be just this, this thing that I avoid and I, it overwhelms me and I don't want to touch it. I don't want to think about it. So it's an entire change, but the, the change has to happen with understanding what the tool is and what what amazing potential it has for each and every one of us, for each and every individual. Very powerful indeed. I think that redistributing money can literally change society in so many yeah, exactly. ways. Exactly, 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 exactly. we're saying. Yes. Are there, I'm curious to hear from you, are there any ancient Jewish, say, Jewish laws or Jewish philosophies or ideas or principles that you feel are particularly relevant for everyone? So I don't know if you're familiar with a, an old 
personal finance book. I now the name slipped me. Um, Chances are la- not. <laughs> the, I think it's the last man in Babylon or what? The, 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 oh, the Babylon one. Okay, I'll, I'll check it out for you. I'll give to you and your Thank readers. You. But, but mm-hmm. the point the point is not that I want you necessarily read the book. The point is that in this classic book, the statement is made. And this is an usual normative financial paradigm, at least in the Western world, that the way to acquire wealth is by paying yourself first. You probably have heard this term, pay yourself first. Okay. Okay. And interestingly, the Jewish financial paradigm it's all, is almost the opposite. Ooh, tell what us am more I about saying? That. So usually, usually. There are four ways in which we can allocate our money. We can spend it, right? We all know how to do that pretty well. (laughs) We can save it, invest it, and give it. And most people, the giving happens at the end. You ask any financial advisor, any financial planner, they will tell you, pay yourself first. That means we save first, right? Then Mm -hmm. come all the expenses. Then if there's extra, we start investing. We start making your your money work for you, okay? And very often, depending on where you are, you're you're already, the saving and the investing is all one part of the pay yourself first. And then with whatever is left, we give. That's normative personal finance, okay? The Jewish paradigm flips this other entire paradigm on its head, completely on its head, because Judaism has very clear instructions that we give first. It's an entire Mm, flip. We give first. That means that money comes in and immediately 10% of that money goes out. That 10% wasn't ever ours. That is 10% of the money which God has entrusted us as his treasurer as his fiduciary to now distribute it here in this world to the rest of the world. So that's a partnership that God has with us. I will give you the money. 90% is guaranteed for you. 10%, you're managing it for me. You're my agent. Okay. And when that partnership is done, then God knows that he can continue in the partnership. If God forbid I break the partnership or I'm not careful with the partnership, then there could be a little bit of a problem. There's a misalignment there. And God forbid, God could find a better partner. So we Jews have a tradition, this is Jewish law, period, okay? That whether we feel like it, whether it feels good and fussy and we get a warm, happy feeling for it or not, we are commanded to take 10% of whatever comes to us and give it away because we understand that the money is just a gift from the creator. It's not something that I earned because of my talents, because of my degree, because of my intelligence, because of my aptitude. It's something that God Almighty has decided, this is for you. Now, please go manage it. Take 90% and please distribute 10. It's an entirely different outlook. Okay. Uh, really, it really is. I, I'm curious for a moment for those of our listeners who, who might not be familiar with the word, if you might be able to talk about what is the word for that 10% and what does it mean? Yes. The word for that 10% is actually miser, which means 
10%. It's a, it's a removal of 10%, right? And generally speaking, there is a general term that people might be more familiar with, which is tzedakah, tzedakah, which actually very often is translated as charity, but, but we know that is not really, that's not the proper English translation because the word tzedakah is rooted in the word justice, because what it means is that when we are giving to others, we are doing what's right and just for God in this world, for the universe, for the entire universe. Now, when we talk about charity in general or tzedakah, we're talking not just about the financial contributions, but all sorts of other contributions, including our kind deeds, our time, our energy. But when we talk about that 10% allocation of our financial resources, that's specifically called MISER. And so to go on with the pay yourself first, I just want to make clear that I would never advocate to people don't save money. But what we're Mm -hmm. saying here is that the first thing in order, the first task is to separate the the master, is to separate that 10%. That's part of the agreement. Then, of course, everybody should should start saving. They should, they should indeed pay themselves first. You should be saving for your goals, for your future, for things that you want to achieve in your life. No question. And then you should be spending the money and everything else. But, but the financial par- the change in the financial paradigm is extremely powerful. In fact, right. I don't know if your yeah. listeners know, but there is, there's an explicit promise in, in the Bible that mm. when we Tell are us. careful with the maser, we will receive abundant blessings. So much so that with every other deed or or commandment, we call it that God entrusts on us and the relationship that we're with him, we're not not, um, allowed to test God. We're not allowed to say, I am going to honor my husband or I'm going to honor my parents or I am going, if, and then you'll do this, you know? But when it comes to giving the 10% of our income, to the needy, God says, you want to know if this works? Test me on it. It's an incredible thing. Again, God knows the nature of man. Our nature is that we feel it's very, very easy. This is where the challenge comes in. Because as human beings, it's very easy to think that the money that I have is a result of my labor, is a result of my abilities. And here we're saying, no. It really not. All of it is a gift from God. And it's to be used. Yeah. It sounds like it could be taken any minute. It sounds like you keep mentioning this idea of a divine partnership between the creator and and the creator. Us that's in so much of what we do. So it's really, it's really so many beautiful ideas here. I'm curious to hear from you a little bit more about your story and what you mentioned earlier and how you struggled and how it inspired you down this path. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the first things that I realized was number one, that I was failing in this paradigm because as most people, I, when the, I guess, let me go back. Let me give you context. Years ago during the first financial recession. Okay. That's when I opened up my eyes to, I guess, the financial realities. And I started realizing that our money was being compromised and we, we, we really like were in, in finance and under financial stress. And one of the things that we first noticed was that this paradigm, we weren't following to the T, not because we were being selfish people. In fact, we were pretty generous, I would say, but the problem was that we weren't following a system. And this is not about generosity so much 
as it is about a system. There's a clear system. That's why I always encourage people we often, to actually systematize the giving, to actually have a separate account where this money goes into as soon as your paycheck comes into your bank account, that 10% goes into that separate master account. So this is like money comes in your bank account and it's like 10% pre-tax, post-tax? After tax, after tax. You got caught Separate account even. That's a really, I got cut off. Okay, I'm going to start over. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that after taxes, there's a 10% mm-hmm. goes into an account and, and you, because of what you're going through, realize you needed to set up these systems. Exactly. Because what tended, what happened was immediately were like, oh, sorry, I can't donate. Oh, sorry, I can't donate. I can't donate now. I mean, right. It's a recession. I don't have any money. And what this does is that you're always going to be a giver no matter what. No matter what is going on, you're always giving, which is an incredible idea because if you want to feel wealthy, let's just be honest and say it, you should be giving. That's part of the psychology. Mm. So again, this is why the system is so incredible. It's divine. So I don't even have the words to express how incredible it is. But think about this. You're constantly in a position to giving, no, to be giving no matter what level of income you're in. Okay. That's why even poor people who receive tzedakah are required to give. Okay. So it's a beautiful system. So this is one of the big breakthroughs that I have. One minute. Yeah, I might give here and there. But now that we don't have, oh, no, I can't give. There must be something wrong here. So that's one. Another thing, Asi, that I discovered, and I think it's really, really important, it's like, is that very often we assume that our behavior is a reflection of our values. We think that we have certain values, and so the way we behave should be reflecting those values. But the hard truth is, that if we were really, really honest and would take a look at the way we spend our money and our time, we might see a shockingly different reality. We Tell might, us more. <laughs> we might say that we value certain things. We might say, I value my marriage. My marriage is the most important thing. But if I look at my financial statements and my calendar, I'm not seeing any time spent with my husband. I'm not going out on dates with my husband alone. I'm not investing in the relationship in any way or form, right? I might say I value, not, every, not all of your audience is, is Jewish, but this can apply to anybody. Just to give an example, I might say I value Jewish continuity, right? But I'm not investing in Jewish education in any shape or form. It's not in my balance sheet. I might say in my financial statements, I might say that I value charity, going back to the charity, but it's not being reflected in the way it needs to be in my financial statements. And so I might say I value certain things, but am I really investing in those things? And when I make financial choices, are they really aligned with who I am and who I want to be ultimately. So am I doing something to impress my neighbors or impress my community or my circle of friends? Or am I doing it because this was really intentionally decided is good for me? It aligns with my soul, with my values. So very often we think we are, but if we're, we go and we look at our numbers, we might see something different. So I always recommend that people do the exercise. Number one, 
let's get clear on what my values are. These are tough conversations. These are conversations that we should be having before we're married and all throughout our marriage. But we should be reviewing what those values are and what values are priorities more than others at certain points in time, okay? 100%. I, I think for anyone who's listening, even single people, yes. people every, everyone, anyone, this conversation, I mean, that you bring up, this is so deep, really. Are we living aligned, our actions in line with our beliefs. And I think so oftentimes we think we know what we believe and yet we haven't really looked in. We haven't looked in. We haven't, we haven't written it down. I think writing it down is so powerful because see what happens is human beings, we don't come with a mission statement and a value proposition written down. You know, there's no plan, you know, that we come with. (laughs) There's no fancy business plan that lists, these are my values that I'm going to live for for the rest of my life. And this is my mission. No, part of the journey of life is to figure these things out. Hmm. This is what human beings do. Animals don't have these issues. They know exactly what they stand for. They know exactly what to do. Writing a mission state. It's so interesting. I literally just came across advice from someone who was saying, write a mission statement for your business and write a mission statement for who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you're saying. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's just incredible. So going back to this, this crisis that you had personally at the first financial Oh, Asi, you got cut off. I'm having a hard time hearing you. Going back to? This is so strange. Going back to the financial crisis in 08. Yes. The first thing you did was you created systems. Yes. And then you looked into your values, align your values with your actions. We started to being really meticulous about where, what are our values? What do we really want to have in our lives? And are we actually financing that those values? Is that where we're putting our money? And if not, what needs to change? And then the third thing, which I think applies to anyone, is to build trust in the creator, the universe, your higher power, whatever it might be. Because I think we have to understand that we are not entities at a vacuum, that we are here sent by something that is much, much greater than ourselves. Okay. And as I said before, that, whatever you might call it, entrusts us to be here. And that entity, I call it God, but other people call it whatever they want, is actually the one who's also going to send us all of our resources, all of our resources, including our financial resources. So when I built that trust and I let go of a sense of control or let go of an illusion that it is my boss who's providing for me, that it is Uncle Sam, that it is my American Express, that it is my husband, that it is my talent, then I'm opening myself to actually go to the real source. Because what happens is if it's like an axe on the hands of a woodchopper, right? If I believe that the power, the axe has the power, then I'm limiting myself. Okay, so okay, fine. So you're limited to what your boss and your manager thinks instead of understanding that he's just another agent. Just like I'm an agent, he's just another agent. If I'm supposed to have the money, I'm going to get it no matter what. I'm going to get it whether it be from my supervisor approving my race. I'm going to get it from a client. I'm going to get it from my uncle. I'm going to get it from a new partnership. You know, the, the real boss is something much, much greater than any human Mm. being and any worldly system. And that, if one can cultivate that, and this is 
daily work. This is not something that happens overnight. Another, snap, I got it. Okay, no, it's daily, daily inner daily work. work. This is the faith. I mean, this is, this is huge. This is a practice. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, talking about how everything comes from a place, it comes from above, it comes from beyond. And yet here we are with our abilities and with our free choice. So I'm wondering, you know, someone hearing this idea for the first time might think, mm-hmm. okay, well, if everything comes from God, I'm just going to sit by the pool and sip lemonade and <laughs> wait for the money to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, unfortunately it doesn't work like that. Sorry to tell you, I also want to sit by the pool. I want to go to Puerto Rico and just sit and relax. Well, no, unfortunately the way it works is that God says, I will bless you in all that you do. Oh, you have to do something. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. We actually have to do something. We actually have to get up every morning and call the clients. And we actually have to come up with new ideas. And we actually have to go through challenges that push us out of our comfort zone and make us do marketing. And we hate marketing or make us sit in front of our boss and ask him for a raise. We actually have to do all that stuff. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's funny. You know, I know that you say this in jest. And I know that oftentimes we can think of work as like this burdensome or work can be difficult, but I know that you and I both see eye to eye that our work can also be very invigorating and really bring us great joy in mm-hmm. life. Yes, a hundred percent. And I would say, and I would, and I would say that that is one of those challenges that we have to realize that God gave us, see, it's, it's very, again, it's very easy to get trapped into a certain sense of comfort. Society says that certain careers are good for people or certain paths in life are good. I'm just going to stick there because that feels safe and comfortable and I kind of know how to do it and I'm okay, right? But there's a part of you that always wants to take you out of that comfort zone. And every person has that. There's this pull to do so much more. And then there's this, this, this pull to like, keep you safe. Don't rock the boat too much. Right. And there is tremendous joy to be found on the other side of that tug of war or that fear or that, that fear of the unknown, or how could I take that jump? Right. That over there, that's where you're thriving. That's where you're in your zone of genius. That's where, mm. that's where your soul wants you to go. What happens is it's very, very scary. It's very, very scary. It's easier to say, no, 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 I'm just going to stay. But a lot, I, think, I think the world is really more and more waking up to this reality. And I remember having this realization in my 20s. But, but we see it at all, uh, all ages. I, I hear women telling me in their 50s, even in their 60s, they don't want to sacrifice their soul doing something that doesn't fulfill them. And I say, Mm. you don't have to. Yes, it's challenging. I'm not going to paint the picture that it's so easy. Again, we don't wake up. We don't, we did not come. We didn't, we didn't come to this world knowing exactly what we're meant to do. We didn't have that business plan, you know, handed to us, right? That's part of the challenge of being in this world. Wow. But this is so much deeper than money. I mean, this is like, this is tapping into like, (laughs) purpose, who are we, what do we stand for? And also looking around society and, you know, you're wrenching this idea of, of not just going with the grain and doing what is like carved out for us, but really doing the introspective work of 
what do I want my legacy to be? Yes. And you know what, Ozzy, what's up? Hopefully the systems have changed since I've been in grad school and in college, but it's like no career counselor ever talks to you about this. You know, I'm sure by now we've, there's, there's certain, there's certainly a, a different consciousness I feel. And I think this is conversations that people are hearing more readily and they're more available and hopefully the systems are changing. But certainly when I was a child, when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, when I was a young professional, this was not how we were guiding people. We weren't so guiding. find your passion and yes. pursue your passion and, and turn your passion into profit, which is now, and you know, freelancing has become huge. In fact, following your passion was the opposite of profit. What's like, yeah, you want to be an irresponsible person? <laughs> you go follow your passion. We're not irresponsible. I'm just going to stay doing the responsible thing. And meanwhile, I so challenge that today because my perspective has changed so much. And from a Jewish perspective, and I think everybody can relate to this um, and it could resonate with so many of us is that, again, if the creator of the world has given me certain passions and certain talents, it's for me to use them. So go, we got to explore this. We got to find, we got to train our children to appreciate what they have, their strengths, instead of putting them in a certain path, in a certain box. I love that so much. And when you say creator of the world, immediately I thought of creativity and how we each have Have. this creativity. And only recently in education did creativity begin to to get nurtured again, you know, by the system. So while there is just so much to talk about here, I had we're, no we're created in the divine image. We're created in the divine image. So of course we're creative beings. Of course Partners we're creative. In creation. It, you keep coming back to that. It's an incredible idea. An incredible idea. Yeah. What sustains you and your spirituality and the work that you do? What sustains me? I think it's my faith and my trust. I, I really work every day on building a relationship with the almighty every single day, every single day. And it's in my language and it's in what I read. It's in what I learn. It's in how I watch my thoughts come up and I try to shift them. It's in how I use, I translate those thoughts into words that sustains me. That's, that's what fuels me. It's being involved in that relationship in a really active way rather than a passive way, you know, really having conversations with the almighty, really inviting that. And again, everybody could do that at their level, but I think, I think there's something so liberating about not feeling like you have the entire way of the world on your shoulders, but that Mm. there's something greater that is sustaining us all. And I think with this pandemic, to a certain extent, to a great degree, I would say, we've all felt it and we've all understood that there's something so much greater, so much greater, and that we will do better if we hand over that control and we, we let God carry our troubles, carry carry us through life. We trust. And I think that feeds into self-trust at the end. As I said, beginning, I think, I think once we trust something higher, then we begin to trust ourselves. That's an interesting idea. Mm. How would you, how would you say you could relate to that in a moment? Like what would be something? Oh, you got cut off, Ozzy. You might be able to shift a little bit. Wait, wait, can you, can you repeat that from, that's an interesting idea. What were you saying? Yeah. So in terms of 
on a day-to-day level, like if Mm -hmm. you notice yourself having a certain type of thought Mm -hmm. and staying mindful of that, how would you shift away from, you know, shift toward this godly consciousness? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 90% of everything, and I know you know that, and maybe you'll even tell me it's even higher. It's kind Uh, of hard to count at a certain point. (laughs) Yeah. Is awareness, is awareness. So when we have these thoughts, we have to know, first of all, we have to know that we're going to have them. We have to know who we are. We have to know that we're creatures with a double identity. That's mm-hmm. it. We can't delude ourselves to thinking that we're all for ourselves and all animalistic or all divine and all altruistic. We're a combination of both. And we're always going to be in that tension. So we have to know what kind of thoughts are going to come to sabotage us, to stop us, where our limiting beliefs might be. When it comes to money, we have to be very clear because it's just always going to pop up. It has to do with our upbringing. It has to do with our entire financial picture from childhood up until today, right? Every decision, every move, everything that we've done that relates to our money paints a certain picture in our subconscious and it comes and it comes all the time. So, So back to your question, being aware of who we are and what kind of thoughts are going to come up and then having the discipline to say, oh, I know what you're saying. Thank you. Now I'm going to go do what I need to do. I think that works for me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being there. Now, can you step aside for a second? I'm moving along, you know, just because, just because of the thought pops up doesn't mean we have to engage with it. Doesn't well, mean so, that it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because, you know, oftentimes I've, I've spoke about Rabbi Tversky who was on the show yeah. and he talked about this, you know, how the negative inclination, we are layered beings and this negative inclination can really keep us, keep our light out of the world because yes. it's, it's this idea of self-doubt. And as you're talking about money today, I'm thinking about how this is so applicable because money can be so closely related to fear. And, and the need to be taken, money is what takes care of us. Mm-hmm. And fear is such a strong emotion. So it sounds like these thoughts about money can be very, very powerful. Yes, very powerful indeed. That's why a lot of the work that a person has to do in order to change their financial life has to start here. It really has to start with understanding what your beliefs around money are and what your money history is. What, how did these beliefs shape because they are going to come. They're going to come. These things mm-hmm. were shaped from a very, very young age. And we can rewire them. Absolutely. We're not, again, we're not destined, we're not controlled by any of it. We have choice, but we have to be aware. We have to be aware of where one side of us is going to want to take us because that's what they know. That's what it knows. That's what it's comfortable. That's how it knows to do things. And we can then redirect and say, no. I'm choosing differently. Today, I'm going to do different. Today, I'm actually going to listen to a conversation about money. Today, I'm going to read a personal finance book. Today, I'm going to sit with my husband and talk about our values or our goals. Today, we're going to open our credit card statement. We have choice. 
Mm, we have, we have this awareness and we can shift it and we can choose. This is such a powerful message. Yeah, I'll thank you so much for being here. I'm curious if you can share with our listeners any resources or anything you're offering where they can find you and learn more from you. Yes, of course. So for those listeners who want to start having more meaningful conversations about money, which is, I think it's a great place to start rather than ignoring our money, welcoming it into our life and knowing how to talk about it in healthier ways, because very often we get into, especially if we're in a partnership we get into very tense, awkward situations where either we're arguing about money or we're ignoring it altogether. We don't really move forward. <laughs> so either for those listeners who want to have better conversations about money with their partners or even for people who actually want to do it for themselves, and I think everybody should, I have, a, I call it a money date. I have a money date guide that walks you through what is the idea of a money date? What is the idea of actually taking some time every week or every two weeks or perhaps once a month, depending on where you're holding, to actually dedicate to your money, to actually welcome looking at your numbers, thinking about your values, thinking about where you want to go, being grateful for what you have, feeling the emotions that might come, right? Having a set amount of time that you do this instead of letting it all be like one day I'm in the kitchen and I'm all of a sudden triggered because the credit card company called, they need a payment and, and I explode on my kid or whatever it might be, right? Having certain structured times where I'm actually going to take care of these things that I call the money date. And I have a beautiful guide that everybody's free to download. It's wonderful. It'll walk you through a lot of the steps you need to really set those up in your life. And you can find it at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash money date. Incredible. Um, I will link that in the show yeah. notes. It sounds great. Yeah. And I also want to share with your listeners for the women in the audience, I'm also teaching a course, which now is jumping into level two, which is very exciting for me, um, called the Jewish Money Makeover. So it is a complete financial paradigm shift based on Jewish wisdom, completely rooted on Jewish wisdom. So we start with the mental and the spiritual, and we get to the practical, to the really practical stuff. And I'm going to launch that course again in July for the women who might be interested, because right now we're running the course, and you can get on the wait list to find out more information by going to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash wait list. And that way you'll be the first one to know about the new course. Super. So I will link both of those in the show notes. And this has been so informative. I had no idea there was so much to talk about. Honestly. Oh my gosh. Yes. We could be going on for hours. <laughs> Plus is my favorite topic. I realized one minute, if I believe in the creator of the world, if I have trust in the creator of the world, if I trust that there is individual divine providence, that everything that I've been given is custom made for me, every circumstance, like, um, do I really believe it? Am I behaving like that? So again, this whole idea that about worrying and what we meant, you and I mentioned privately before about habituating worry, that's not a Jewish concept. That is not a Jewish idea. And to say that that is okay, it's not okay. We have to recognize that if we are in that state, we have work to do. We have work to do. We have been granted the tools mm. to go above that. We haven't been put in this world to suffer. God didn't put us in this world as a punishment or suffering. This is a world to be lived, to be, to be thriving, to be joyful. So saying, I used to worry when I didn't about the bills, when I didn't make money. Now I make money and the bills are still there. So I still worry and it's okay. 
No, it's not okay. We have a Torah that informs how we should live, how we should think. And there's Jewish wisdom behind it. And no, we're not here to be suffering and worrying and actions and, 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 and in chaos in our marriages, God forbid, right? We're here to work and to rise above all of that. We absorb all sorts of wisdoms and cultures and ways of behavior, but we got to get very honest and refocus. Okay, where is our truth? Where is our truth? Where does God want mm-hmm. me to be? What, where, where, where really is that? A, where, what, is, what is my soul? Where is my soul rooted? My soul is rooted in the almighty. So what does that mean for my soul? It's so beautiful. What is that blueprint? What is the blueprint of my soul? Mm -hmm. You know, talking about the exile, I read something beautiful over Shabbat that when the children of Israel went into exile, there is a beautiful metaphor that we were kind of, we were being born into this daylight Mm -hmm. and that God's love for us is like the shining stars in the sky and that in daylight, we can't see the stars. Right. But if we remember the night, we know that they're always there. Yep. And it's knowing that it's always there and remembering mm-hmm. even when it doesn't feel like it or seem like it. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So it's daily work. I think changing the paradigm is daily work. And I, I think we have to take it a little bit more serious. I think it's very comfortable to say, it's okay. I'll live with worry. It's okay. I'll always argue with my husband about money. It's a very comfortable place to be. It's okay. My job is okay. No, no. We didn't come here to be mediocre. We didn't come here for it's okay. We came here to strive, to constantly strive, to constantly be growing, to be growing in our marriage, to be growing in our financial lives, to be growing in our relationships, to be growing in our parenting. We don't just settle. The minute we settle, we're gonna be we're gonna be poked. There's gonna be something else that's gonna God is gonna always want us to be active. There's always gonna be mm. something thrown at us to get us to move. The question is, are you going to move? How are you gonna respond to all those things that are being thrown at you? Mm, rising, really rising to the occasion. Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense. I heard something the other day. I think you would love this along the lines of. If you want your life to be hard, pursue easy. (laughs) So true. So true. So I think if you, you know, we want our lives to be meaningful, we're going to see ourselves on the top of the mountain, see ourselves climbing. Mm -hmm. It's the real work. Well, I'm so excited about your course and everything you're sharing and and teaching. and And I'll tell you something else that you just reminded me, not just climbing, is climbing, holding a load and feeling that that load is just diamonds. It's not a whole load mm-hmm. of rocks. We're always climbing and we always have things. We have our trades, we have our circumstances, we have our marriages, we have our p- children, we have our families. Is that for us a load of just something that really is overbearing? Or is it a beautiful load of gems and things that accompany me at all time that I take pride in and I'm willing to always embrace and have with me? A whole different, it's a whole different mm. climb when you're, what when you're holding treasures than That's when you're holding rocks, beautiful right? metaphor. And, you know, it's such a beautiful metaphor. I think it's so easy to get caught up in feeling oftentimes the different responsibilities that we have or the normal stresses of family life or work life that we might not always realize that looking back over the climb that those challenges are where our points of pride lie yeah what are we proud of 
Yeah, our it's most, so our greatest forget. learning, our greatest learning. This is how we're here, each and every one of us. It's from that challenge that we became who we are today. And it's the next challenge that's going to make us who we're going to be tomorrow. Mm, we have to welcome the challenge. We, don't, we, we can't be squeamish and scared. Not that God should be sending us challenges. We don't want that. And we pray to God that he doesn't. But when he does, we have to know that there's purpose and meaning to be found and that we have what it takes. If, if it's been sent to us, it's because we have what it takes to overcome it. Mm, I love that. Amen. Really powerful conversation. I got so much out of that talk from Yael. She really inspires me. And I'm sure that you're feeling inspired as well. So, you know, I think that her final words about being challenged are so true. And I think the more that we can look at whatever's happening to us as something that could possibly be happening for us or even from us, we can really expand our consciousness and we can really be in the present and live in the plane of possibility. So if you want to be in touch with the L about what she shared and really access these incredible resources that she's created, check out the show notes for links. I'm going to link everything there. And I also want you to know that Yael comes to my weekly meditation circles on Zoom that are incredible. These weekly circle of insight meditation sessions for women are mindfulness meditation, spiritual learning, really this opportunity to calm down, get in touch with our deeper selves, higher levels of consciousness, whether you have never meditated or you're an experienced meditator. I watch transformations take place every week and it's really phenomenal, really fantastic. I started doing this just a few months ago and it's become an incredibly special ritual in my life. So if you're on my newsletter, you probably already got the invitation to sign up for the four sessions in July. If you're not on my newsletter, you can sign up by visiting drozzy.co and entering your email and you can always just try one session. You can sign up for one session on my website. It's on the main homepage and you can come in and see what it's all about. I would love to have you there. When you come in, you can turn off your video and just listen, just really enjoy the relaxation and the uplift that I provide for the first 30, 40 minutes. And then there's an optional, optional time to turn videos on and really check in and reflect on whatever it is that you're taking away from the session. So that's really exciting. And there's going to be a lot more coming up. I have a lot in the works, a lot to share with you, a lot of new and different ways that I am serving all of you. So stay tuned. I'll be making some exciting announcements soon. And until then, wherever you are in the world, I hope that you are meeting yourself with kindness. You can meet me on Facebook, by the way, if you haven't joined my Facebook group Circle of Insight yet, you can meet me there and stay connected. You know, I love hearing from you and whether it's hearing about your transformations or whatever's challenging you right now, it's all welcome. And you know, that's really the community that I'm working so hard to create is a community where we can all show up with all of the different parts of ourselves and feel welcome and feel appreciated and accepted and heard and seen. 
by respectful souls that are there for the same, same things. So I thank you so much for being here. Your time is so precious and it is my joy and my motivation to serve you. So thanks again and abundant blessings to you wherever you are in the world. Hope you're meeting yourself with kindness and hope, 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 hope. I believe that we have so many reasons to hope.